0: Friends, we have been embarking on a sermon series throughout the season of Easter that we are calling Sacred Space. The idea behind this series is that each week we will explore a different piece of furniture, a different element within this space, and ask ourselves, how do those pieces of furniture help make this room something more than just a room? How do they combine and build on one another to make this space truly sacred? So we began that first Sunday after Easter talking about the pews, an object that is perhaps one of the most bland and overlooked by most, and yet the piece of furniture that brings us as close to one another as anything else. Sometimes even puts us next to people who, given the option, we would never sit next to in our lives. Our youth led us, and there was too much laughing on that one. Everyone's like looking (laughs) around now. Our youth led us in an exploration of the, the chancel itself, these three steps and platform that so many of them have sat for countless children's moments on, even been baptized at. We then visited the table and considered what it means to dine with Jesus. We stopped at the font. Kate Buckley took us on an exploration of our organ and gave us this image to carry with us out into the day where each of us are like pipes in the organ, invited to sing the song of God's love out in the world. And today we visit a piece of furniture that is perhaps the most awkward to preach on because I'm standing in it, the pulpit. What is it about this space that's worth thinking about, worth talking about? And so we do what we've done every Sunday up till this point. We turn to the scriptures And we seek to find a way into that question, into that conversation through the lens of God's word to us. Today we turn to a book and a passage that I think most of us seldom ever turn to, 2 Timothy. And we read from the fourth chapter, the first five verses. Friends, let us listen now for a word from God. The author of this letter writes, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage, with great patience and with careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, you, Keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. And discharge all the duties of your ministry. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? Good and gracious God, send your spirit now dwell within this space, but more importantly, to dwell within our hearts. Speak, O God, a word for our souls and a word for the living of these days, that through the words of my mouth, but more importantly, the meditations of all of our hearts gathered here in your sight, O God, this word may be glorifying and pleasing to you, for you and you alone, O God, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You know, it's a strange thing to say, but I really can't tell you much about the best sermon I ever heard. It was a sermon preached by the Reverend Casey Fitzgerald, who was then the associate pastor at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Alexandria, Virginia. It was a sermon preached on the parable of the prodigal son. But the thing about this sermon is I can't tell you how Casey began it, how she ended it, and frankly, I can't tell you much of what she said in between either. What I do remember about this sermon, though, is that Casey preached the parable of the prodigal son, that parable that has three main characters, right? Younger brother, older brother, and father. Casey preached that parable through the lens of someone not on that list. She preached it as if through the eyes of the mother. She described the joy that the mother in that parable must have felt when her two boys were born. And the heartache, the despair when that younger son demanded his inheritance flew the coop and in the process broke his family's heart. She described the worry The worry that every parent, and especially every mother here, probably knows. The worry she must have felt every day that son was gone. Wondering to herself, where is he? Does he have enough to eat? Is he even alive? And then there was this moment late in the sermon, where I remember she painted this picture. And the picture she painted was that of the mother at the kitchen sink doing what she did every day after dinner. She was there cleaning the dishes, clearing the table. And she looks up out of the window over her kitchen sink that looks out on the expansive front yard. And she doesn't quite register at first what it is she's looking at because she sees her her husband, this man older in years who isn't known for moving particularly fast, sprinting. Full speed down the driveway. She painted this image where the mother goes back to washing her dishes and then slowly looks up again. And she sees at the end of the driveway a figure that that her husband is moving towards. And then it hits her who it is at the end of that driveway, the best sermon I ever heard, and I don't remember a word of it. But what I do remember, I remember that in that sermon, Casey beheld something about God. Right, it's this parable that up until that point, I always was able to intellectually grasp But I had never before so viscerally felt. Right? I felt in that sermon something true about God. And after I left that day, it hit me what it was I felt. I felt grace. Grace. I've often thought back about that sermon because for me it's this this illustrative point that preaching ultimately it's not about the words. The goal of good, faithful preaching instead is to simply behold something for both the listener and the preacher alike, to behold something about the beauty and the power and the sovereignty and the love and the grace of God. To behold something so that even if everyone here, preacher included, leaves not remembering a single word of what was said, you will remember something you felt. Something that felt true. There's that quote that we sometimes include in the sidebar of our bulletin from the Reverend Barbara Brown Taylor, a well-known Episcopal priest and writer she talks about preaching in that quote as being like alchemy, alchemy, right? Preaching is this this space where under the influence of the Holy Spirit, the ordinary details of all of our everyday lives are suddenly translated into the extraordinary elements of God's ongoing creation. Preaching is like alchemy. And the place, the space where that alchemy ordinarily happens is the pulpit. You know, the building committee, two members of which are here today, the building committee had to make a number of really difficult decisions throughout our year and a half long renovation. And one of the decisions that I remember brought up the most debate, not contentious, just debate, had to do with the pulpit and specifically how permanent our new pulpit should be. Right, Everything you see up here on the chancel, the table, the walls, the lectern, even the organ, it's all movable. One of the goals of this renovation was to improve and enhance the accessibility and the flexibility of our worship space. But we kept coming back to the pulpit. Now, how movable should our pulpit really be? If you go back and you look at some of the early renderings that we shared with the congregation, there's one where the pulpit sort of has this tiered base to it that comes down to this point that is very much bolted and anchored to the ground. As if to say, this pulpit ain't going nowhere. (laughs) At one point, though, I remember we flirted as a committee with the possibility of designing some sort of custom-made podium that would just sit on the chancel floor and easily be moved in and out. And eventually, we arrived at this. And in fact, it's a compromise of sorts. We picked this because in many ways it it picks up echoes of the pulpit that occupied the sanctuary for the over 50 years prior to our renovation. But we also picked it because it, it looks permanent. It feels permanent. But in fact, this pulpit is not bolted to the ground anywhere. Now, I have to admit, I was initially in the no-move camp for the pulpit. The more reinforced it was, the better. Everything else can move, but it's a sanctuary. We're Presbyterian. The pulpit needs to, I don't know, it should stay where it is. (laughs) But slowly, you know, I came around to really appreciate where we ultimately landed. Because it becomes this image for me Of how just as the preacher can be anyone, anyone, the pulpit, the pulpit too, can really be anywhere. If you want, I'm not telling you to do it, but you're welcome to if you want. After worship, you can find six, eight, ten, twelve, it's pretty heavy. Find a lot of people, come up here pull the pulpit down off the chancel, put it on some furniture dollies and wheel it right out the back of the sanctuary. I'm serious, I would actually love it if someone did that. I would love to see this pulpit go clear out those doors and straight into your office straight into your home, straight into your business. I'd love it if this pulpit made its way into that conference room where you're going to sit this week. I'd love it if this pulpit, it came down off the chancel and got wheeled straight into the next church committee meeting, into the tough conversation. I'd love it if this pulpit got moved out And it showed up at a final goodbye. I'd love it if this pulpit hit the road and headed out into the world. I mean, how would our lives, how would our community, Glen County, how would our church, how would it be different if we took this pulpit with us? Wherever it is, we go. Right, imagine creating a space in your life, this this perch that you can climb up into, not to look down upon or bemoan or browbeat whoever it is that's underneath you, but rather a perch that we can create in all of those different spaces of our lives where we can help others to behold God's beauty, right? Imagine God through the power of the Holy Spirit performing alchemy on the ordinary details of our everyday lives. Imagine God taking our presence, our actions, and if needed, our words. Y'all heard that quote, preach the gospel always and if necessary, use words. Right? Imagine God taking all of that and using it to build up God's kingdom wherever it is we are. Right? How would our world be different? I can make a few guesses. I bet some of those spaces in our lives that currently feel as if they're running on empty, I bet they might start to feel a little more full. I bet some of those places in our lives that just feel baked in anxiety might slowly begin to yield to something like trust. I bet some of those places that are filled with fear might be instead filled with hope, those spaces filled with scarcity suddenly replaced with plenty, those places filled with greed suddenly filled with generosity, those places filled with hate, I bet even those places would slowly yield to love, to grace even. Even those places that feel like death. I wonder if they might instead begin to feel just a little bit like life. To be honest, I think that's exactly what is going on in our somewhat arcane reading from Second Timothy today. The author of Second Timothy, maybe Paul, maybe someone else. He has essentially climbed into his pulpit and he's looking out on this congregation of people on this world where if you read the whole letter you begin to get a sense that maybe these people are beginning to dabble a bit in heresy maybe testing authority some right that language of the itchy ears I love that right you get the sense that here are people here is a world full of people who are pretty willing to listen to any teacher or preacher or politician who is willing to scratch whatever itch it is that their ear has that day. Kind of sounds like our world, to be honest. He climbs up into that pulpit and he looks out on that world, on that congregation, and he says, Listen, folks, here is your charge. Pick up your pulpit pick up your pulpit, take it out into the world, preach the gospel, behold God's beauty, and then trust. Trust the Holy Spirit to do the rest. Because at the end of the day, when all of us climb down out of our pulpits, wherever they may be, Even if the people around us do not remember a single word of what we preached. Even if all of you go home today and someone asks, what was the sermon about? I don't know. (laughs) Right? When we climb down out of our pulpits, even if people don't remember a single word that we said, even if all they remember is a feeling somewhere deep in their soul, and that feeling is grace, then we will have preached the greatest, per- the greatest sermon that someone in our lives has ever heard. So friends, pick up your pulpit, whether it's this one or another. Take it with you. Walk out these doors today. Take it with you wherever it is God leads you. Behold God's beauty. Preach the gospel. And trust the Spirit to do the rest. For the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the world, may it be so. Amen.